Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, business, and more. My name is Aaron Goff, owner of Goff Custom Knives, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Frank, from the Frank Brothers Guitar Company. How are you, mate? Good. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad. We've had a hilarious amount of technical issues this afternoon <laughs> trying to get this recorded. It's, it's we've had thrown to listen, us both off, I think. We've had to listen to the intro song like a hundred times. Like an unreasonable amount of times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually uh, did a, another podcast the other day, which was fun. Oh, yeah. I saw you post about that. I haven't had a chance to listen. Yeah, it was um, uh, another podcast called the Rewild Gear Podcast. So, And it was interesting like because rather than just talking about knives, we were talking about like the outdoors and um, like my history, how I got into knife making, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was fun. That's super interesting. I know a little bit about that from back in the day. Yeah, you've seen some of it, buddy. You've lived some of it. That's right. <laughs> uh that's cool where can we listen to that um just i think it's um all over the place but it's called the rewild gear podcast um so yeah spotify or whatever it. you should be able to find it yeah very cool what about you uh, mate? what have you been up to i have been up to um let's see we I've been making some progress on the fixture plate for the Haas. Hmm, nice. It's been challenging because Mark and I, our schedules are completely uh, off from each other's. Right. He can only, right now he can only work on weekends, and I can't work on weekends right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's so um, he's been coming in on the weekends and uh, working on the fixture plate, and I've just been swamped with production. Right. Uh, but it's looking good, and this weekend we get to work together. I'm coming Ooh. in, so I this weekend that's gonna the the we're gonna finish off the uh, body uh, fixturing, and then right. we're gonna make some some chips and cut some actual wood. Nice, but you've been or well, you haven't been doing any machining on the house yet, right? No, because you've been making the fixtures on the other machine. Yeah, that's right, and partly because we've got you know our old tooling in there and um we bought limited tooling for the host just to get started right uh and the uh machinable um like the the actual tables are just outside just like the exact same size as the machine like the the x and y travel right so to cut 
the actual shape of them. Easier, right? To better to do it on the the axes. Uh, and yeah, we're we're gonna do the top surfacing and uh, all the we so we got from a McMaster uh, like um, pins and uh, sleeves. Okay. So like, yeah, yeah. I think we got like three quarter inch. They're really nice. They they have a beautiful slip fit. So all any anything that's going to be um, really uh, high accuracy that that we're going to depend on, we're going to do mm-hmm. on the Haas. Right. Right. So you've got you bought like fixture bushings and fixture pins. That's the, um, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Did you um did you get like a round pin and a diamond pin? Yes. For each? Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. And it's nice because up until now we've been doing, uh, we've been making pins from phenolic dowel, right? And not ideal. Just, yeah, and and those are going into phenolic square coals, right? Um, and I mean it works pretty good, I will say. But did you say square square coals? Square coals. <laughs> what the fuck is a square coal? <laughs> it's a square with a round shoulder. So oh, if you okay. look so it like up, if you're making with an end mill, yeah, it has to have rounded corners. It does, but you know we could make it a circle, but putting a round right. pin that relies on, um, uh, you know, like a pressure fit, not right. a slip fit. It's like it, it's it's distorting the whole. Yeah, you have to ha- you would have to hammer it in lightly. Right. Um, it would be really it's really hard to get those out of a whole hole. So by just making right. it square hole. Square coal. It's actually a word if you Google it. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, I've never heard of that. Before. I don't know if there's a Merriam Webster definition of it. Right. But squircle. Squircle. There you go. I learned something new today. Yeah. Uh, it's, on, it's on Wikipedia. So. Oh, there you go. S Q U I. So it's, it's real then. It's real. So. And it wasn't <laughs> me that put it up on that. No, Mark came up with that. I thought he made up the term. Mm, but. Right. Um, yeah. And otherwise, um, I started off the week by dropping my brand new set of calipers. <laughs> Sucked. Right, wait, right at these, the like, end of the night. Are these like Amazon calipers or are these like mid No, I bought them from, um, no, they're not Mid-a-toyos, but I bought them from, uh, Maritool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Those, uh, green ones. I don't know. I forget what brand they are. They're like 60 bucks US-ish. Yeah, okay. So it's so, like not the end of the world, but it's yeah, it's not not a fun. Oh, so annoying cuz the right. I what I really want is a pair of uh Mitotoyo coolant proof. Mm. Uh mm-hmm. ones. But I don't use coolant, but they turn on a- automatically when you just move them. Oh, okay. Whereas the regular ones you got to press the on button like an idiot. <laughs> um and on when I was I was just checking Meritos website and I saw that they sold some reasonably priced calipers and they said they turn on automatically when you move them. I was mm. like, that's my dream. I don't, that's, you know, that's it right there. And did you like Simple them? Manners? They feel great. Okay. Yeah. Until you dropped them. They felt great until I dropped them right up until that moment. So are um, they like totally boned now? Or like? Yeah. Like not even just like they're fully fried. Like the, how did you, what, what happened? Like how did, you... so, you know, just typical carelessness. <laughs> I put them, <laughs> I put them down uh, on the edge of a table and then grabbed something else off the table. I, th- I think I was picking up, I put them next to the camera and we take photos for customers mm. and the camera uh, strap 
just dragged, just them, dragged off the table. them off the table. And they were like slightly open. So they hit on the face, of, like the tip of the jaws. Uh, and then did like a full 180 and hit on the tip of the, the inside <laughs> diameter jaws. So <laughs> I can measure the depth of a hole uh, pretty effectively. Uh, pretty good. That's yeah, about right. it. Oof. Well, those calipers sound nice, though. I, I'll have to have a look on the market. I would recommend them. They came those. in a nice little case, which I should have kept them in. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I actually still use dial calipers. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, the very nice first too. pair of dial calipers that I bought, I'm still using them. And they were not expensive. They're by a brand called Insize. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they, honestly, they've been great. Uh, like, I just, I'm aware that at some point I will make an off by one error um oh and yeah mis mismeasure something but honestly i haven't i haven't so far you know so okay the mirror tools are in size so oh they are okay yeah yeah i and i like i like my in-size dial calipers so yeah, yeah i wouldn't have any issue buying digital ones dial dial, dial calipers look cool they kind of make you look like you're you know what you're doing <laughs> you know it's like the, it's like having a a analog watch right you know? I, I've had to rescue them once. Um, I accidentally spilled super glue into them. Oh, I've done that many times. Yeah. <laughs> and like on a dial caliper, because it has the little tiny rack and pinion, like the little yeah. tiny gears in there, that wasn't great. But it wasn't at all hard to fix. Like I just I just like popped a couple of screws off and scraped a bit of super glue out of there. It was just like a little little dot. And right. then it was good, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. That's lucky. Um, I... Yeah, I spilled like this binding glue we make mm. all over a pair of uh, just cheapo, like thirty buck calipers from Lee Valley. <laughs> were they they were dead after that? No, they just they don't they're not as nice to use anymore. <laughs> I should probably take them apart. The but, ones that I'm really careful with, I bought um, uh, some Mitutoyo, um micrometers, uh, digital yes. micrometers. Yeah. So yeah, I have a, a one to two inch and a zero to one inch of those. And yeah, I'm careful with those. I keep yeah. them in their cases. That's smart. We just use them so much, like they just I need like yeah. a I need like a um holster. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like one of the you know, like like a phone holster. Yeah, I mean for the calipers. for calipers it's it's not so bad. You know, like even your sixty dollar calipers, like you haven't dropped a pair of calipers other than that, so uh, you can probably be trusted with them, but like micrometers, just like the one to two inch micrometer, I think that was like four hundred dollars or something. Ooh, Those yeah. Are, yeah, 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 not cheap. Um, but they are, sure are nice. I can tell you that much. That's good. So, well, that that was my um, depressing tale for the week. Otherwise, <laughs> pretty good. I mean, I, I'm I'm sort of um, trying out a bit more of a batch work approach to production right now. Mm, okay. um, which I think will transfer well when we're working with the Haas because we expect to, you know, it'll we'll be making parts faster. Right. Normally, I'm trying to do, I try to like do like two or three guitars a week, but right. um, we fell a bit behind. And so I'm trying to catch up and I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice to work on like six bodies at a time or uh, six necks at a time, six fretboards at a time. Kind of right. get into a zone, yeah, which totally. is nice. Um, and with the Haas, I um, I won't have to switch tool sets like I do now, so make it easier to do smaller batches. 
Right. But right now working with the axes still, it's like, oh, nice. I don't have to like switch tool sets every three hours. Yeah. Yeah. To move from bodies to necks to fretboards. I find if you're doing something like that, it's often good to try and make the quantity align with the length of a day. Mm hmm. You know, because then you know, like, okay, tomorrow I'm coming in and I'm going to be setting up the machine to do bodies and then I'm going to be working on bodies all day. And it's kind of nice to to just have one thing in your brain for the day. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm actually trying as hard as I can to get away from that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gone back and forth myself. Yeah. Why, why haven't you liked that workflow? Um, just because previously, you know, it, I mean, the issue is exacerbated when you're doing large batches. You know, if you're doing, you know, so in the past, I've done batches of up to 100 knives at a wow. time. Um, and that has gone very, very wrong on one very notable occasion where <laughs> I was working on a batch of 100 knives and I scrapped 70 of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was because there was like a little defect in the machining program. Right. But I thought it was fine. I was like, you know what? I've, you know, this is, this was much earlier on in my machining career and you know i was like i don't want to have to change this thing and dial it blah 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 so, you know i think it's fine i've looked at one it's fine I, you know i have to do some some post finishing work on these anyway so i'll just finish it out and it turns out it wasn't fine i i you know i i scrapped <laughs> 70 of them because i was just too dumb to to fix the problem earlier you know yikes um yeah. you had faith yeah. in yourself unwarranted faith yeah. <laughs> misplaced you said it, this is future aaron's problem yeah but you know like it is when you're you're tired and you're in the middle of a batch it's very easy to to just be like oh that tiny little thing doesn't matter or or whatever you know um or to make some tiny mistake that you don't notice until it's too late and then you've got a bunch of stuff right that you have to rework or scrap or whatever you know yeah, I mean, we had a similar issue where we built like seven guitars and we had a binding offset issue where the, the top binding didn't match the back binding in terms of, mm. you know, location. <laughs> they weren't aligned. Right. <laughs> uh, so we had like, yeah, like, I think it was, it was like at least, maybe it was like seven instruments. Right. Um, I'm going to blame auto squaring, Axis <laughs> auto squaring on it to beat that horse right. one more time. Yeah, you know, and... <laughs> I really do like the idea of one piece flow. So, you know, for anyone not familiar, one piece flow is, is kind of this lean principle of like, everything should just be happening one at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have multiple processes happening in parallel, but each thing should be just doing one piece, you know? Um, and I am a big fan of that. Like it, it makes it really, really easy to like, you know, when a part comes off the machine or when you finish a process, like, you're, you know, let's say I'm um, hard milling a blade bevel and then hand finishing it right after, you know, while the next one is machining. It's it's great to like, you know, be hand finishing that bevel and you can see any like tiny little issues or or whatever, and then you just fix it. You yeah. know, like the net, you change the program and then the next one after that, it's it's fixed. It's exactly. You know, um, so you had like one in the middle there that was like suboptimal and you knew about it, you know, and that's it. Um, so yeah, I am trying to get back to that as much as I can, you know. And and last week we talked a little bit about um, the glue up fixtures that mm. I was making for assembling handle scales. Um, yeah, that's know, a piece an exciting uh, revelation. Yeah, and that's been fantastic. Like I've been using that all this week, um, 
and no issues at all. Like the, I don't know if we talked about it, but like the glue doesn't stick to the, the fixtures, which yeah, is nice. that's great. It just <laughs> comes right out. Um, so I designed the fixture. So basically it's like a rectangular channel with clamps that go over the top of it. You uh, put the, the G10 liner. So like a thin rectangular piece of G10 in there. Um, butter up the other piece with the polyurethane <laughs> adhesive, put it in, the, in there and then clamp it down, leave it overnight. And then you come back the next morning and the, I actually have like a little channel at the front mouth of the the clamping slot where I can put a screwdriver underneath. Smart. So I just like stick a flat blade screwdriver under there, prize it out, um, just use a, a utility knife to cut off the, the foamed up uh, polyurethane that's squeezed out and right. then straight into the fixture and into the CNC. Brilliant. Yeah, it works great. I love that. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, I want to get more stuff like that happening. And it, it's funny the amount of like support infrastructure that has to go around that. Like now I have so many different um, handle scales and liners, like all the different materials cut up and prepped mm -hmm. but i need to like have an organization system for them right so i'm gonna design a little like uh welded up sheet sheet metal thing that has like customized shelves oh, for sick. each of the different colors right um, and then you can you just know, pull one from here one from here mix and match yes and i will be doing my like kanban inventory system with that too so yeah you know um set your reorder yeah, exactly. So I'll have like a little card in there uh, in between the handle scales, you know, five handle scales from the bottom. And when I reach that card, I pull it out and put it in my, you know, order this box. So the next time I'm doing a G10 order, I know exactly what to get. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like uh, I, I really like processes like that, but it, it is frustrating when you, you know, like what you're dealing with where you have, you have six processes that all have to happen on one machine. They can't happen in parallel and you have to do setup in between each process. It's yes. like hugely frustrating. It is. And the reason we, you know, it's like, why haven't we been doing that this whole time? Like more batch work, but mm. um, yeah, we were attracted to the one piece, piece flow thing too, even though it is more work for us, but right. it's better. Like it, at a certain point we were like, man, we just like, I just, we just want to get like, one guitar out the door and instead of seven not out the door but in a in some state of production right, right? so it's better for like cash flow it's better for your like mental state at least getting you know a few things done versus like yeah your batch of 100 which is going to take you like months to make or i don't know yeah. yeah um so we'll see i mean it's it's tempting but we we kind of work with these like monthly goals so I might just have to reassess and, and say, what's the most I can, like, how do I actually get like a certain number of instruments out the door right. in one month? Um, can I do batch work as a result of that? Or is like, right. if I was going to do like 12 guitars, is that going to take six weeks? <laughs> right. You know, then that doesn't really work necessarily for, for our yeah, cash I mean, flow. And... I'm guessing that you're probably saving time by batching processes like the same process together on on the same day yes even, well i've always done batches it's just a, the number so it'd be like right. i'll do like two or three i'll uh, you know like two a week or three a week um depending on the, the complexity of the instrument right um but uh yeah i've never done like one at a time truly 
Yeah, I mean, what I've, I'm kind of very slowly working toward is doing everything truly on demand as yeah. much as I can. So um, at the moment, one change that I'm making is um, for the last two years, I've been getting um, soft, you know, like the annealed steel, so mm -hmm. a rectangle of steel. Um, I put it in the CNC. I cut out the internal locating features. I cut out the profile. And then at that point, I heat treat it. Right. Um, and then I hard mill the bevels and stuff. The problem is that that puts, um, it puts kind of like a bottleneck in the middle of that process. So I have to like get all the steel, cut it up into rectangles, then process it, you know, over some period of time. I actually run it at the same time as I'm running bevels. Like it, it, the program does both operations. Okay. Um, but that means that I might have to wait like, you know, a week or something for there to be enough uh, profile blades for me to do heat treat. Right. Um, and that just gets in the way. You know, sometimes I'll run out of blades that have been heat treated and then I have to like, you know, alter the program to do just one step so mm -hmm. that I can scramble and get stuff ready for heat treat. So I'm actually going back to... Um, doing everything hard milled basically because that allows me to do the heat treat earlier in the process mm -hmm. you know so i can get steel from my supplier cut it up into lengths heat treat it and then just keep it on hand um so you batch the heat treating yeah unfortunately i have to batch heat treating because yeah. it's no that makes it's just not practical that makes sense i mean that's yeah. the other that's if you talk about one you know um one piece flow uh you still kind of do have to batch some things like yes um, yeah there, there are often things that you do have to batch unfortunately we we this is a new thing for us but um you know we've got some some people working here and i'll mm -hmm. have um one of the guys he'll he joins up body blanks necks uh makes neck blanks uh makes tops and backs uh, and right. cuts them out. So the more stuff we can do like that, then the more it's just kind of assembling a guitar. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. So you have one guy doing prep all the time. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been thinking about how do we how do we do that on the CNC as well. There's a like we do so much custom, but a lot of the bones of it are not customized until they get to a certain stage. So right. until we're putting you know the, all the necks are the same shape and have a, a truss rod in them uh, then you put a headstock overlay on it then it becomes a custom guitar because then maybe right. you're using tortoise shell or maple or macassar ebony or brazilian rosewood that's when it becomes a custom guitar but up until that point we could batch a bunch of that stuff and just have it ready and it's kind of like a cooking show right yeah and you know honestly i don't think that that's a bad way of doing it like mm -hmm. i've been kind of doing that with my blades for instance right so yeah. i'll you know, I'll machine a bunch of them, I'll hand sand a bunch of them, I'll tumble them, blast them, send them off for coating, and then get them back, and then they go into a box, and I basically keep stock of those. Right. Um, and so that I can assemble knives on demand when people place orders. Yeah, and then you're kind of like buying it from yourself once yeah. it's ready. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to do more of, of that for sure, because right. at a certain point, you know what I mean? It's like... The stuff's not going to go bad, but then all of a sudden, maybe you've changed your design slightly or your your yes. work holding. Yeah, um, you don't want to keep too much inventory. And, yeah, and I've been there yeah. before. I have necks here 
that um, have the, you know, we use three pins to, to um, put the index, the fretboard onto the neck. Right. And the pins used to be smaller and in a different location. <laughs> so <laughs> I've got like a neck or two with the old pinholes. That you just kind of no fretboards to match it. So yeah. I have those old programs, but also other things have changed. Right. So yeah, it's def- there's definitely a limit to that. But at the same time, we've we've sort of dialed our stuff in. We're not making those big changes as much anymore. Yeah. So you, you know, build that confidence around your your processes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're like cutting up G10 to certain sizes. That's a commitment. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, I, you know, I went a little bit bigger on the length in particular than I maybe strictly needed to. Right. For safety. Right. You know, so that I could, you know, if a future process needs a slightly bigger, uh, like the kitchen knife, for instance, if I need slightly bigger, um, handles, like, you know, more G10 for slightly bigger handle scales. It's not a problem. I can right. Do. Yeah, that's that's smart. Um, I mean, we, we do that with our pickup rings. And we mm. make them all for the biggest size pickup ring, which is also the most common one we make Right. Uh, for a humbucker. But if you're making for a mini humbucker, you just have a little more waste, which is a bummer. And maybe right. we, we fix that down the line. But for now, it, it's definitely the most economical thing for us to do yeah time time wise and just flexibility wise right yeah and i mean um you know so like when i say that i would like to do more one piece flow stuff um one thing i'd really like to do is have a separate cnc just for doing handle scales yeah um because like the setup on the machine is different i need vacuum rather than air blast you know because you don't want to be blasting uh, composite like fiberglass dust everywhere right um, it would be really sweet to be able to keep the um, chips separate so that I can do more recycling. Yeah. Um, and the 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 process for making the blades is quite long. You know, it takes hours to machine a blade. So it, it's really would be nice to just have that running all the time, you know, 24-7 or however much I can keep it running, and then have another machine that I can use in parallel to do handle scales intermittently. You know, because I only need a hand scale, handle scale when I'm making a knife, right? You know, when and, I'm assembling it for the customer, and that's a much faster process. Yeah, it's like half an hour. Wow. Okay. Yeah, um, that's what you need to do. Let's get yeah. You, how, how can I get you into a host today? <laughs> <Right. laughs> well, a I mini mean, mill. Part of the, but uh, yeah, I mean, the problem is that even a mini, mini mill is kind of overkill because yeah. machining composites is much less demanding in terms of machine stiffness than. Um, machining metals, uh, you know, so like a, a really sturdy router with a tool changer would be totally fine, right? For machining handle scales, you know, so that is something I'm considering building, <laughs> <Of course. laughs> um, you know, just because, uh, you know, as we talked about last week, it's kind of an awkward place, like ordering a small CNC machine for cutting composites that has a tool changer is a really awkward part of the like cnc machine market right you know, there's just not that many out there um we, we talked about tormac i mean because they, they've got tool yeah. changing right they do yeah um they're not the cheapest still no and they're not like super quick it would be significantly slower to make my handle scales on a tormac than it would be on my current machines mm-hmm. um and like the base machine doesn't have an enclosure, which is kind of important for machining composites. True. 
Um, yeah, there are some issues for sure. Um, one of them is that I think that the design of the Tormac would probably be particularly susceptible to getting, um, dust on the, on the ways. Right. Um, so like the, for those that don't know, the, the Tormac is a, what's called a dovetail way machine, which means that the, the ways, the part that actually kind of hold the machine like constrained as it moves in a direction are all made from cast iron and then ground um but they're they're kind of exposed you know so the the g10 that i'm machining is extremely abrasive so you'd be getting like fiberglass dust sticking to the oil and stuff of these machined Ooh. precision components um is that, that is that the linear like um movement that's how the yeah. machine moves yeah is with dovetail ways. Wow. Um, that seems old yeah, school. So it is kind of old school. And I mean, I think the reason that they do it is because there's a bunch of Chinese factories set up to machine inexpensive machines with that process. Huh. Um, you know, because like more modern or higher spec machines all pretty much all have linear rails these days. So like ball bearing rails. Right. Um. Yeah, and I mean, the, the Tormac machines seem to work okay. It's just they would require more adjustment over the long term for, for mm -hmm. the wear and tear on the on the weights. Um, um, oh, that's interesting. I've, yeah. I've looked at their, uh, their lathe. I have a desire for a lathe. <laughs> <laughs> they are sweet. What, what, what on earth would you use a lathe for? Well, I, um, we have our own custom strap buttons. Right. Uh, that we, we shop that out uh to a machine shop um we right now i mean it would i would love to make a custom knob for volume and tone right uh one part that i do turn is myself is a switch tip so hmm. we, we, i make them out of tortoise shell uh pen blanks and i just i lathe them on the drill press <laughs> <laughs> okay so you're, you're just like putting them in a chuck like the yeah stock so in a chuck? it's square pen blank so that makes it extra fun right. i <laughs> um i so i use a whole uh plug a plug cutter cut myself mm. a plug first i drill a drill a hole in it that's the inside that's the that's going to be the threaded hole to, right. to go on the switch then i I drill around that. I plug, use a plug cutter to cut that out. Right. Then I put it in, I put the drill bit back in the hole upside down with some super glue <laughs> around it and I chuck it into the, the drill press oh, wow. and Jeez. I just turn it with a, um, a file. Wow. It takes me, so I can do it in 30 minutes. I can do one in 30 minutes. That's yeah. I mean, it's not particularly fast. No, I know. <laughs> I thought it was pretty um, good, though. <laughs> have you thought is. about... Sorry, I've just been being dog attacked here. Um, our, our puppy is running around like crazy. Have you thought about um, doing that stuff on the mill rather than... I have. Do you, do you think you'll give it a try? Uh, yes, I would like to. Um, I would still have to... Um, I guess I could do it in two ops. Yeah. Yeah, because like so, you so for those that don't know, when Nick says strap button, what he means is well, why don't you tell us? Why don't you tell us what you mean? Nick? Oh, okay, for a strap button, that is there's two little knobs on the uh, on either end of the body of the guitar, 
and if you just hang a strap from that and then that can hang then the guitar can hang off of your your body yeah and it, the shape is um you know kind of cylindrical it has a hole going through it for a screw and then the outside is contoured um kind of like an hourglass so that the the strap will kind of lock into to place yeah it's a, that's um, a pretty good description ours do not have a hole a through hole we oh have, you have like a screw we have yeah ours is um has a threaded uh rod hmm. uh, okay but yeah that actually potentially makes it even easier i think so i like, was just gonna say i think that m- would make it easier in this instance because right. then you don't have for op two you just flip it over and you just you're just 3d or 3d contouring yeah. the, the one surface yeah yeah so i mean you could totally make that if you if you bought bar stock cut it into lengths yeah held it in like a 5c uh collet on the table sticking up mm-hmm. or um like an er collet sticking up like a collet uh and just do it one at a time yeah or you know you do you could do a bunch of them if you wanted to um but then yeah like machine uh the threads so like basically like cut the od of it down with an end mill till it's the right size for the threads and then thread mill it and then flip it upside down and screw it into a second op right. fixture that holds it in place and then machine the top of it. It probably wouldn't be too bad. Yeah. I mean, it just would, it's not that expensive to have them made. Right. Like it's under. I'm curious. Can I, can I ask how much it is to have them made? They're like seven bucks each. That's oh, not too bad. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. For a pair, you know, a pair per guitar. Um, right versus the time it would take to do that and they're doing it on a, a dual spindle lathe right which is like overkill for that part but it would be very very quick i suppose but finished if you think about it i mean they are they're doing it in two ops op one with on no labor yeah that makes sense yeah like, op one on a bar puller main, and and yeah, yeah op two on the sub right look at you mains and subs yeah talking, talking lathes oh, i think lathes are so cool they are, and yeah, it's it's kind of crazy how much easier it is to get parts out of a lathe with no labor time, like no hands. Oh yeah, I mean, you get a parts catcher and it's just dropping parts. If you have yeah. a, a dual spindle and a Y axis and live tooling, yeah, you you There's a lot have, you can do. Yeah, you can make parts that don't even look like they were made on a lathe. Yes, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. I've seen some of the guys on Practical Machinist when when they have a small part, you know, it's like half an inch on a side and you know, maybe rectangular two inches long or something. Um, yeah. They'll, they'll totally like bar feed that on a lathe. Oh yeah. And, and you then, can just make that all day. Whatever yeah. Part. Yeah. And then, you know, your, your automation is so simple. Like you have a bar feeder that yeah. may hold, you know, like a dozen bars or something and a parts catcher and you just run that overnight unattended. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. It is cool. I think that's what's so appealing about it. Um, they also seem very scary. Like, <laughs> uh, it makes a uh, makes doing three axis milling seem seem simple, simpler. Well, so you were talking about Maritool earlier. I was watching. Um, so John Saunders did a uh, shop tour of Maritool. Yeah, um, I've seen that. Yeah, and so they do all of the machining of their tool holders and stuff in-house, which is awesome. But John was asking um, Frank Mara, the owner of Maritool, you know, like, like what what chem do you use to program all of the 
because they've got sub spindle lathes and live tooling, all that kind of stuff. And he was like, oh, no, I just program it all by hand. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I'm not that. He's literally familiar. like writing the G code. How? How do you do that? Um, well, I mean, you just have to like know all of the different G code commands, like, you know, move to here, rapid to there, you know, set this offset, come back in here and cut, do this like canned cycle. Like, but how do you tell it, like, if you're writing the G code, how do you say, like, I want a, I don't know, I want the shape. Uh, well, so that's that's the problem. Like, with, with a mill, it's really, really difficult, right? Because you're, you're going to have all these crazy freeform shapes that you then have to, like, program arcs for and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, but on a lathe, it's much simpler. I guess for a tool holder, you're basically saying, like, you know, move from, from here to here. You're describing a straight line, but it's actually like an angle. Right. You know, and then the next bit you're doing a shoulder and then. Yeah. Because the tool it's all focused on the center of the bar. Right? Um, I'm not exactly sure how they would normally set offsets. I'm not a CNC lathe guy, I must admit. But I, the work offset, yeah, I think would normally be from like the tip of the bar and then from the center line. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, it's it's crazy to me that that he still hand programs everything. But I guess, you know, depending on your quantity, it might be a hundred percent worth it to you know shave every second off off that cycle time. Yeah, well, I'm sure it is for them doing so much yeah. volume. So they they don't make the, they don't make their own end mills. No, so they have um, a bunch of companies in the U.S. that make their end mills. So I I know that they use HTC for making end mills. Um, I don't know who else they use. I know they have a couple of different suppliers for like they I think their drills are made by different people than their end mills, for instance. Um, but all of their like tool holders and stuff they make in house. Right. Yeah, which is super cool. Yeah, the tool holders are beautiful. Yeah. Have you ordered any diamond tools from them yet? No, I haven't ordered any actually uh any, any actual cutting tools. Cutting tools? I, I think you'll like the, the, the diamond tools at some point. I think you'll like them. Yeah, I'd be so curious to try them. And I actually was going to ask you, like, we've been using the same end mills for years. And like, like the same brand or the same actual <laughs> end mills? <laughs> same brand. Oh, we do get right. really good tool life. Right. Um, but like, how are you assessing whether you want to, you need to make a change? Sometimes part of me was, is just like, I feel like we could mm. maybe do better. I don't love the supplier we get our tooling from. Right. And I just, uh, I don't know where, how to even like, I, I'm so, I feel like I, I'm just so used to what we are using. I'm like scared to try something new. Yeah. And, and new, I mean like not the same style of tool. Like, we use all single flute mostly, uh, right? Uh, square end mills. We use two flute uh, ball nose and stuff, but like I'm just too used to that. Honestly, it is a good question because, like, let's say you're ordering, you know, a three eighths uh, four flute end mill, right? Like solid carbide with a coating, aluminum, titanium nitride, or something for cutting steel. You know, from Maritool, that's going to be like, you know, an eighteen twenty dollar tool. And then if you were to order that from like Seiko or, um, you know, Hamer or something, that could be like a $250 tool. Wow. Um, you know, is there really enough difference in tool life to make that 
200 extra 225 dollars worth it like i i really don't know um i have tried some other tools and i've never really seen a difference Mm -hmm. um but part of the issue is that to actually be able to measure the difference you have to be like running a process that's otherwise so consistent that there are no other variables you know like if you're like changing the program every day or you're doing different parts every day like how do you even tell yeah one is better than the other i don't know i mean you need like a cmm or something well i I don't yeah check check how much how much tighter your tolerance is based off because of one tool but there's also a lot of variables right yeah yeah there's so many variables so i mean basically with marital um i've been super happy you know so i've with my current end mills, so they make um, a custom end mill for me that is quarter inch in diameter, um, six flutes, 60 thou corner radius, and um, aluminum titanium nitride coating. And I use that for hard milling. And cool. they don't they don't specify it as a hard milling tool, but that's what I use it for. Um, and I get tool life from that that like other people are like, oh, you know, how many tools do you get? Like how many blades do you get per tool? Like two or three? You know, like, no, I get like 12. You know, okay. like I've, I've been running the, the most recent tool for like two weeks. Um, I think it's done like almost 20 blades at this point and it's still running fine, you know? Um, wow. Yeah. So like, I don't have any motivation to switch to, to really experiment, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I like, don't, I just don't love the supplier. So. Right. It's, it's kind of an expensive tool. I see cheaper ones out there. I'm like, oh, that'd right. be nice. But and w- what tool in particular are you talking about here? Our single flute uh, downcut and upcut uh, end mills. Okay. So it's yeah, it's a single flute um, helical uh, end mill. Uh, which where are you getting them right now from? Like tools, tools today or something? Or? No, I shouldn't say because I I chirped them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you just don't like that they're like. You have to like call them to order or what? No, I don't. I, um, they've recently discontinued selling one of the tools that I use, which is just kind of mm. annoying. Um, they, I've just had fulfillment issues and, um, I don't know, right. just other things. It's been years of buying tools from them. Well, so. I have a suggestion. I have a suggestion, which is, you know, I used to think that I was special. Because Frank treats me like Frank at Marital treats me so well, I thought I was I was special. <laughs> but I I've heard lots of stories from other people of how they feel special because Frank, Frank treats them well too, right? So maybe reach out to Marital, uh, reach out to Frank, and just say like, this is what I would like. You know, can you guys stock these? Right. And okay. See if he in can... my experience, he said yes every time I've asked him. See if he can just get the same tool. But yeah, just... made by his. He'll have them custom made by his ah. um, end mill manufacturer, and then potentially stock them. You know, okay. if that's something he's interested in carrying. Interesting. Um, it's not so a metal me, cutting tool. Or I me, mean, I guess you could cut aluminum. I guess some people cut aluminum. Some plastics. plastics. So it's for, yeah, you could totally plastics. cut plastics. Yeah. Um, you know, so from he for me, he introduced all of their diamond tooling. That was at my request. He does um, down cut metal cutting end mills at my request, which are very unusual. I've only ever seen one other place that sells those. Cool. Um, I love downcut bits. 
there yeah if you don't know what you're doing with them they're a disaster waiting to happen but yeah for the right, <laughs> for for wood, the right it, thing it's not right so risky <laughs> right um and yeah like all of the custom tooling that he's made that i do for my uh that i use for my bevels are just fantastic like they just started making an eight flute version of that little quarter inch tool so you're talking about a quarter inch tool with only three eighths length of cut that has eight flutes um, and I've never seen that tool anywhere else, you know, and, and I asked him like, oh, you know, the six tool version's working great. Do you think there's a benefit to going to eight tools, uh, eight flutes? And he was like, I don't know. Let's find out. Cool. You know? Um, so yeah, man, I, I would, you know, I hope I'm not giving him too much work, you know, that everyone's going to yeah. reach out to him asking for custom tools, but like it, it might be worth asking him, you know, cause they're always expanding. So yeah. Yeah. Cause we've been, I mean, we've been happy with, the, the way these tools perform they always like we just found out you know mark was probing diameter and they're mm. like some of them are well undersized yeah so that's pretty normal though yeah you will find that with most most tools are up to you know one and one thou undersized well, it's not we were, common we were more than that i'll have to ask him because again i wasn't right. here but i feel like the number was like six thou <laughs> oh okay yeah that's 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 a lot yeah yeah i mean um all of the tools from Maritool, like generally they're going to be undersized. Like uh, CNC tolerance tools are usually undersized because you don't want, if, if you're like going to cut a slot with a 3 8 end mill, you don't want it to be oversized. But cleaning up a slot to an exact tolerance right. with a, a cutter that's a bit smaller is very easy. Yeah. Right. So that's why they always make them a little undersized. How do you um, check diameter if you don't have like a probe? Like how do you check exact diameter? <laughs> I cut a part and measure the part okay. and then compensate from there. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, for, for me, um, I only have one operation where I need to comp for a diameter, and that's when I'm cutting the profile yeah. on my blades. Okay. Um, and on the profile, I'm holding plus or minus half a thou. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, just whenever I change the tools, I cut a test part, um, measure that. Usually, it measures intolerance but it'll be like to one end or the other of the tolerance and then i just dial it so that i'm aiming for the middle of the tolerance range and then i let it run that's cool yeah uh, that that's important for us too the um cutting a profile the tool right. diameter yeah i mean you've got a, a table probe right so yeah it's so cool i mean we've been able to probe for length um on the the axes since we've got had it but Right. Knowing the diameter is just so cool. And yeah. it went on to um, eBay and bought a ring gauge. <laughs> on eBay? Yeah. Why, why did you go to eBay? Because there's so many available on it, on eBay. And it was, really? it's not a huge, it was, I think it costs maybe 30 or $45 to get a right. 1.6 and change uh, master ring gauge. Uh and it was so... How much was the same thing for McMaster? They didn't have the exact. Oh, so okay. So for that exact diameter, it probably inside diameter it would probably be over a hundred, maybe like one hundred eighty-five dollars US or more. Mm. So it was kind of worth the risk just to 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 get it and see if it was totally fucked. But it's but how do you nice. how do you, so I'm I'm curious, right? Because it's a ring gauge, so it's you know pretty like high level metrology tool in terms of like yes that's one of the things you would use to qualify your other tools yeah so how are you qualifying the inside diameter of the ring gauge 
you just have to trust that it's right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. Like, why would you trust something? Because it's a master ring gauge and it's like an XX <laughs> tolerance. Right. But I can laser engrave that on a bearing and just send it to no, you. No, I mean, this is, it's made by a, a GSG ring gauges. It's like a legit ring gauge. Okay. People do make okay. them themselves for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but no, this is like a legit ring gauge. Just... I, I'll, next time you want a cheap ring gauge, just let me know, and I'll just three D print you one. Okay, I'll yeah. write whatever. That you will be want a cheap ring gauge. <laughs> yeah, four four X grade. Yeah, more X's is is more better. <laughs> I mean, I'll send you a photo. It looks like a pretty legit ring gauge. Uh, right, and it had like a tolerance or had a um, from the last owner. They, I'm sure it came out of some like fancy machine shop. I'm gonna guess. Oh, okay. You bought it used. Yeah, of course. Okay, okay. eBay. No, I thought you were buying um like new stuff. Oh. Right. Because like if you buy like a brand new thirty-five dollar No, that'd Chinese be a horrible idea. Off eBay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um okay. no no, this is like a legit <laughs> right. serious ring gauge that probably would have been like two hundred and fifty or three hundred dollars. Right. Yeah, I do love a good eBay find for stuff like that. And there's a million of them on there. Like you can, I got my pick of the litter. I will say though, I, so sometimes I buy new stuff off eBay. Um, but just recently I got like, not screwed, but like massively. Well, let's, let's not make this a first world problem, but I was, I was inconvenienced by, I was buying, um, vacuum fittings. So like, uh, high end, high vacuum fittings. Um, so they're like polished stainless steel uh, with a very specialized kind of gasket fitting on either end. And it's I'm buying like you know 90 degree elbows and like flex tubes and stuff. Yeah. And if you buy them from a, a U.S. company, we're talking like 250 bucks a piece. Oh you know, wow. For like a little a little elbow, you know, oh, and yeah. I need like a whole bunch of them. Um. So I went on eBay and there was a company that looks like they had them and. It's, they said, you know, U.S. stock, blah, blah, fast shipping. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll give it a try, you know. And these are like 20 bucks each or whatever. And it turns out like the U.S. stock part of that was like total bullshit. And I ended up waiting like eight weeks for oh. them to come from China. Um, so like it's kind of funny. Like I found eBay more recently to be unreliable for stuff like that. But I've had really good luck with AliExpress. Interesting. Yeah, I've never, I've never tried AliExpress, but it's interesting to go onto the website. I've had pretty good luck recently with eBay for a lot of things. Um, right. eBay for used stuff, I love it. Like, oh yeah, totally. Like, I bought a, a vacuum pump off eBay that was like six thousand dollars US. Wow. New, and I got it for four hundred bucks. Oh my god. Yeah. And it's like it's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. Um, I mean, I that's when it's such a low barrier to entry it's it, it doesn't feel like as big a risk like for us to spend right. 30 dollars on a ring gauge was almost more of a risk to buy one for 300 dollars, considering how often we'll need to use it <laughs> yeah right, right um i get that but i my one thing my one concern with it was like maybe this has been used as a go no gate go gauge for like a decade and they've <laughs> right and that's all worn out yeah but the the inside diameter would look like the inside surface looked okay. Like it's not perfect. Right. Uh, like right. It, it, you don't feel any burrs or, or pits or anything like that. Um, right. But it's definitely used. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just interesting. Like I've, I've ordered some stuff off AliExpress that was just impossible to order anywhere else. Right. Um, like I bought a replacement 
LCD screen for my Fidal yeah. machining center. Yeah, how cool is that? Um, yeah, and that was like 100 bucks, you know, but if you buy um, basically the same thing from any US company, it's still the Chinese-made LCD screen, but they just sell it to you for 800 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so, yeah, stuff like that. It, 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 like, I have really no problems buying from, from AliExpress or whatever. Right. Yeah, it's like um, coming from China anyways. I just yes. opened it and up. And my experience has been very good, honestly. Like, everything's been really fast whenever I've ordered from them. Like, I've gotten stuff from AliExpress in, like, a week. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if you can if, if you can find it, it's not going to be, like, a sub-quality product. So why not? Then, they got yeah. everything here. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know an anime yeah, shirt. Going on... I can buy um, a drone. <laughs> Headphones. Going on AliExpress and just seeing like what's on there, it's kind of nuts because like you know, everything is made in in China. Yeah. Like you can buy stuff that's not made in China, but you can also buy everything from China. Yes, and some of the stuff that's on there is is crazy. Like I had the idea to build my own wire EDM, and I still I've I've got parts for it. I've got some oh, cool. working hardware. You know, like it's it's kind of an ongoing project, just very slow, and. You can go on AliExpress and order like um, machined Ruby guide um, orifices for a wire EDM of like whatever description you want. You can <laughs> buy like the the wheels. You can buy the um, water jet systems, like the flushing systems. Like it's crazy that you can buy all that stuff, and you cannot buy it anywhere else. Right. It's like maybe these companies are making this. Um, to spec for a company in the states that's ordered them, and then their side right. hustle is also just selling them on this, you know, uh, on right. Ali, uh, AliExpress. Well, the interesting thing is too that there's a lot of like um, stuff that's made in China for Chinese industry that we don't really see in North America. Okay, yeah, true, um, true. I mean, why are you DM? I'm, I'm yeah, sure they've got lots yeah. of those. Yeah, exactly. It's so th they actually have a specific type of wire EDM called a fast wire, which uses, rather than using a um, consumable brass wire, uh -huh. it actually recirculates a molybdenum wire. Like it, it actually like reuses it back and forth. Um, and the molybdenum wire is like way more tolerant of high temperatures, so it doesn't wear out anywhere near as quickly. Oh, cool. Um, and they use them for a whole bunch of stuff, but like one of the more modern uses is when you're... Um, 3d printing metal parts the metal parts actually get like um printed on top of a steel base plate and then you have to cut them off the base plate um so you can literally use a bandsaw but then you end up with like a shitty bottom surface so they actually use these wire edms to cut the bottoms off right um and <laughs> like there's one company that I know of that's Im that imports these um, Chinese-made wire EDMs into the states, and they're about thirty grand as opposed to like the hundred and forty of a traditional wire EDM, and they cut significantly faster. But they're not designed to hold the same tolerances, right? Right. But if you don't but need that my... tolerance, what do you need a wire yeah. EDM for, or what would you want one for? Um, the. Uh, I have this idea that it would be really sweet to start with a rectangular blank of steel, machine um, the bevels and everything on both sides of the blade, oh, yeah. but not cut it out, and then use the wire EDM to cut out the outside. That's a great idea, because then you have your reference surfaces 
there the whole time. Yeah, and the fixturing is super simple. There's no customized fixturing at all. If I wanted to, and I was okay with being wasteful of steel, I could use the same oversized plank for the kitchen knife and for the resolute. Right. Right. Um, oh, that's such a cool idea. Yeah. yeah. I actually, um, I have a friend in on the other side of Canada who has, has a machine shop and has offered to run a couple of test parts for me. Um, I just, I don't want to waste his time, so I haven't, done it but i will at some point i'm going to send him some kitchen knife blanks to to cut out how expensive is it to would it be to shop that out like if you did that process and then just sent somebody i actually don't know i, I will probably ask him you know like what he would quote on that job yeah um then you're back to doing basically big batches though <laughs> yeah exactly i mean the 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 biggest problem with wire EDM is consumables cost. Right. Like you consume filters, you consume the deionizing cartridges, you consume wire. Um, there are a lot of expenses in running a wire EDM. Hmm. So no end mills though. No end mills. True. <laughs> Just wire. So How expensive is wire? Well, it's all copper, ah. <laughs> so it's not cheap. Yeah. Or brass, right? So yeah. So we, we started this episode and I thought we were not going to have enough stuff to talk about. And then we haven't even talked about 90% of the stuff in our show notes. Whoops. It's hilarious. Did you want to, <laughs> did you want to tackle some of this before we? No, it's fine, man. Like we, we've just had an episode where you and I are basically just like catching up and, and shooting the shit, which is really fun. I think. So I, yeah, I like that. Hopefully other people like it. Um, you know, listeners, if, if you, if you hate it, let us know. If you like it, let us know. Um, I don't think Nick and I have any problems, you know, flapping our gums at each other like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, sorry, um, Elon, we didn't get to uh, your space stuff. Oh, there was no space stuff this week anyway. So that's oh, okay. okay. But we did miss a bunch of good questions. We have a bunch of great questions. So I guess we'll get to next week from uh, Scott Hoadley, J. Berry Knives, Real Penny Pincher, Wing Wave Designs, and MW Blades all had questions or suggestions. So we will get to those next week. Sorry, guys. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we've got to call it a show there because we just hit an hour, man. Right on. Okay, cool. Well, I'll look forward to chatting with you next week. Yeah, absolutely, man. And at some point we have to do this over beers once, oh yeah, once the lockdown finishes, which is hopefully happening soon because everybody I know in Canada is vaccinated. Yes. You got yours. I got mine. Yeah. Which is crazy. So hopefully a month or so, a month or two when things will start getting back to normal, which is amazing. All right, man. Well, I hope you have a great week. You too. I hope everyone has a great week. And we'll see you again next week. Yeah, cheers. Bye, everyone. (laughs) As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 